836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. What a glorious weekend and what a tremendous day. This is, um, in the words of the song, I wish every month of the year could be June and days like today are exactly the reason. Lots of daylight hours, gets light early, stays light late, 68 degrees, low humidity, just absolutely perfect. A great day to be alive. A lot of great stuff going on, a lot of things to talk about on this program, so hang around. Um, Our first, we we start off today like we start off every show with three big things. One of the three big things we're going to be talking about in just a couple minutes is the follow-up to the shooting that occurred a week ago at the lakefront. Um, the sheriff's department, I believe on Friday, might have been Thursday afternoon or, or Friday, I was on vacation on Friday, um, released the video, the dash cam video from the sheriff's deputy's car that tried to pull over the van. So you get an amazingly good, clear look at what happened. And you can actually see the, the deputy who was involved in the shooting. It's a, it runs about a minute and a half, but it is a very, very definitive, clear look at what happened. And candidly, after watching this video, I don't think there can be any question in anybody's mind as to whether or not this was a legitimate shooting or not. We will discuss it. If you haven't seen the video and you want to, if you simply text the word Bradford, B-R-A-D-F-O-R-D, the shooting occurred at Bradford Beach, if you just text the word Bradford to 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we will send you a link to the video so you can watch it. Um, I'll describe it to you in, in great detail when we get to that segment, but that's coming up in a few minutes. But if you want to see the video, if you haven't seen it before, or just have easy access to it again, text us the word Bradford, 414-799-1620, and uh, we will send you a link. Okay, big story number one. Once again, we wake up to a story of terrorism in Europe. Now, without burying the lead... London has been the site since March of three distinct acts of terrorism. You might recall in March, a driver plowed into pedestrians on Westminster Bridge, causing four deaths, then exited the vehicle, stabbed a police officer to death. ISIS claimed responsibility for this attack. Earlier this month, A van veered into pedestrians on London Bridge, setting off vehicle and knife attacks that killed eight people and wounded many others um, on the bridge and in a nearby public market slash um, kind of tourist bar sort of area. Um, So eight people killed, many others wounded, and again, the van attack and the knife attack that followed. This was an act of terrorism, again, ISIS claiming credit. Three Muslim extremists who carry out the attack were killed by the police. And then, of course, um, late May, there was the suicide bombing that killed more than 20 people at that concert in Manchester in late May. So in just a period of a couple months, there have been three mass acts of terrorism, um, ISIS claiming credit for all of those incidents. And, you know, a significant loss of life and people being injured. So it is perhaps, while it is fortunate, while it is depressing, um, today you have another reaction. In this particular case, 
early Monday you had a, a van that slammed into worshipers near a mosque in London, killing one person and injuring 10 others. This is described as clearly a deliberate attack. Police have arrested a 48-year-old man who drove the van into a group of people as they left a mosque in North London shortly after midnight. He was arrested and is being detained. Um, This clearly, I, I think... Um, is is a hate crime. There, there's just no question about it. Just like you had the Muslim, the Muslim extremists who acted out with terror, you know, in the last three things that we talked about. This is somebody who clearly wanted to kill, in this case, as many Muslims as he could. So he targeted again the mosque. He knew when people were coming out. He drives the van into them with the intent to try to kill them. So this is the the flip side of that. It is, I guess. You have crazy people on one side, and now it's crazy people on another side responding. And you have a world which is potentially going up in flames. Let me just say this at the outset. There is no question in my mind that this is the type of reaction. What happened in London today is the type of reaction that ISIS is trying to provoke. The, the So they can create this impression that there is this holy war that is going on. Look at what is happening here. You know, you have people who are trying to kill Muslims, and, and this is the holy war between, uh, again, th- this is why we need the jihad. Look at what's going on here. So ISIS is trying to foment this. And, of course, unfortunately, you have you know somebody in Great Britain who buys into this, and actually by doing what he does today hurts hurts the efforts that all of us have to try to, I I think, root out terrorism because somebody sees this and says, yes, you know all that propaganda that ISIS is putting out about how the West just absolutely hates Muslims? This is is where we want to go. All right. Again, this was a car attack. And so, number one, it is it's you've got the loss of life which is tragic you've got the hate crime which is appalling and I, I think things like this again feed into what ISIS is trying to do which is counterproductive as well it's like you know you know people cannot give into this um, for a variety of reasons but once again it demonstrates how vulnerable we are whether in this case it was an attack launched on Muslim worshipers or in the other case it was, you know, tourist areas where you had people that were going out, they were, you know, you had the cars that were turned into weapons. And the reality is that there's very, very little that we can do to protect ourselves from these type of acts. Because here you have, again, a typical a car. I mean, what are you going to do? Is there any way that you're going to be able to regulate cars or vans or trucks if you have somebody who is crazy who decides that to you know carry out whatever sort of holy war they might be carrying out, whether it's attack on Muslims or attack on non-Muslims? You know, it, are, is there anything that can be done? And the reality is, probably not. I mean, how do you stop somebody who's driving a car or a van or a truck that decides that they? want to find a populated area, and then drive at people. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, The first day of summer is coming up, um, but tomorrow, Wednesday, first day of summer coming up. Um, summer is the time when typically around this country we, we go out. We congregate in mass 
groups. You have the U.S. Open that was here last week. We go to places. We go to Summerfest. We go to church picnics. We go to Lion Club festivals. We go out and we are in large groups, which makes us, I guess, always potentially susceptible if you have some crazy person like was, you know, motivated by hate, like in London today or in London a couple of weeks ago or in Manchester or wherever. You know, you're always susceptible. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, things like this are always kind of in the back of my mind, but I refuse to allow them to change the way I, I, I behave. If I want to go to a concert or I want to go to a ball game or I want to go to a church festival or I want to go to, I don't know, a picnic or whatever, where I know there's going to be a lot of, lot of people gathered and I know that the reality is there's only so much security can do, I'm not going to change my behavior. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I think a lot of people maybe look at these stories one after another and say, gee, I'm a little bit hesitant to go here or there or somewhere else. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I refuse to change my behavior because of these situations. Are you rethinking anything you do in response to these mass acts of terror? 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 848, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about the uh, sheriff's dash cam video of the shooting at Bradford Beach last week. It is very, very dramatic, and I think gives an incredibly clear picture of what happened. If you haven't seen the video or want to see it again, you can simply text the word Bradford to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we will uh, send it to you. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Um, we travel a lot, and yes, we've thought about it. We were in um, London, and we've been in um, uh, Paris not too long ago. And we thought about it, but then we decided we're not going to let them um, change our plans. Mm-hmm. And we continue to travel and just have to be a little bit smart, you know, look around your surroundings and, and that sort of thing. But it's actually God's plan, so um, whatever he's got in store for us, he has in store for us. Now, now Sue, would you be hesitant? Now, you were talking about London and... Um, would if if this was someplace else, would, would for example, would you be hesitant to go to Egypt nowadays? Well, I don't want to go to Egypt. Okay, but right. no. okay. <laughs> I, the places that you know, I would Paris. We yeah. went to um, Paris, but you gotta, you know, you gotta be smart. I mean, we sat in a cafe out in front, and if you've ever been to Paris, mm-hmm. you know that those policemen there. You hear those those crazy sounds all the time in Paris, and all of a sudden we were there and. Six police cars pulled up at the, the building across the street. They all got out. They went in. They were there for 10 minutes, and then they came out and they left. You hear that all the time in Paris, any time yeah. you go. And so, um, but you just have to kind of be smart where you go. And and if it's your time, it's your time. Well, I mean, th- well, right, I guess I, I, I mean, I do sort of appreciate that at the same time. I, I don't want to do anything – I don't think anybody wants to do stuff that, that hasten their, their time coming. But I, I understand what you mean. And I, see, I guess I, I'm the same way. It would it, 
there, there's all sort there's places I want to see in the world, and there's things that I want to do on a regular basis. And the idea that there's some crazy person that's going to get behind the wheel of a van or a car or whatever and is going to, you know, drive into crowds, for example, to kind of sort of for whatever purpose, whether this morning it was apparently an effort to kill Muslims. The last three efforts in Great Britain have been efforts to um, apparently try to perpetuate this holy war by these Muslim from these Muslim extremists. But but regardless of what it is or regardless of whether it's just some some crazy person who decides they're going to act out. I I do think the reality is you, you have to, again, be smart, but. Am I not going to go to Summerfest? Am I not going to go to Miller Park? Am I not going to go to a fireman's picnic? Am I not going to do things that give me pleasure in life and I want to enjoy just because there might be some crazy person that's out there? Well, truth is, you take your life in your hands every time you get behind the wheel of a car and drive you know, down some of the crazy streets in Milwaukee with all the different crazy drivers that are out there. And again, you, you want to be smart. Now, if you ask me, gee, Jeff, do you feel a desire to travel to Syria or to Egypt? And I'm kind of with Sue. It's not that I have an overriding desire to go there. I might think, okay, maybe that's not the smartest time to be you know, an American in, in Egypt right now, just for the, the sake of, of argument. But you know, beyond that, as far as is it going to stop me from doing this river cruise? Uh, no. Is it going to stop me from traveling the places I want to travel? No. And I, I think that that's the reaction that you have to have. Um, otherwise, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. The terrorists end up winning. All right, we're right in the middle of our three big things section. The war of words between David Clark and Chris Abley continue. That's coming up. It's 8.52. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 8.55. Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. The division rival Pittsburgh Pirates Pirates make their first appearance at Miller Park this season. Tonight, we've got game one of the four-game series right here on WTMJ. Bob and Jeff hit the airways at 6.05, sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. Okay, big story number two. Well, the war of words between Chris Abley and David Clark, it's not going away. All right, um, over the weekend... David Clark announces that he is removing his name from consideration for this Homeland Security post. Let me translate. Um, what, what I think ended up happening was for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, the sheriff who was offered the job, contingent, uh, you know, he was tentatively offered the job. There's a letter that shows that. The sheriff goes on a radio show and announces prematurely that he has the job and that he is leaving. Well, that's not how these things end up getting announced. By doing it in the way he did it, it allows the anti-Clark forces to mobilize. And then you have, you know, all the lefty groups that are out there that don't like him. They're going after him. You have some of these, in my opinion, bogus stories about did he plagiarize something you know when he was uh, you know working for his masters you know all those different types of things and sheriff clark becomes a hot potato and potentially a liability so in any event i, I don't know if he was told to withdraw his name i don't know if his um, nomination or just got stalled somewhere but you know over the weekend sheriff clark announces that he is he's he's withdrawn his name so for the time being he is staying which for all those people that were out there trying to kill the Clark nomination, the message is be careful what you wish for because it might come true. So for all the groups out there that were trying to kill the nomination, okay, you've succeeded. So what does that mean now that you've succeeded? Well, 
he's going to complete his term as sheriff. So, all right, if you really wanted Clark gone, you know, it seems to me that that was kind of silly to go after him in the fashion that you did. But that's and that's what happened. So, Chris Abley, the county executive, wades into this. Abley says, I, I think he should resign anyways. While I never believe that anyone who actually knows and cares about national security would consider David Clark for any position of authority, I'm happy for the confirmation that they weren't. Homeland Security has an opportunity to do far, far better. I'm hoping Milwaukee County will be the same, do the same. I urge Sheriff Clark to submit his resignation and allow Milwaukee to turn the page. I am sure Governor Walker will appoint a good successor, and I look forward to working with whomever that is. In response, David Clark says, Abley is upset, although the sheriff uses a word that I choose not to use on the radio to describe that. Although Abley, Abley is upset, I will be sheriff until January 2019 at a minimum. That's a long time. He couldn't beat me at the ballot box in 2013 after spending $263,000 of his personal wealth trying to do it. I will resign right after that little mouse does. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, there, there, there's not going to be any beer summit between the two of them trying to, you know, mend fences. That is very clear. Are you glad that David Clark is staying? 414-799-1620. I will give you my answer, and we will discuss right after the news. But 414-799-1620, it now appears that the people who wanted to kill the Clark nomination to Homeland Security, um, at least, I, I think, succeeded to an extent, that means the sheriff isn't going anywhere in the immediate future. Are you glad he's going to continue to be Milwaukee County Sheriff for at least the next year and a half? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, if you want to see the dash cam video of the shooting at Bradford Beach, if you text the word Bradford to 414-799-1620, we will send you a link to that. and You can see it. We're going to talk about it in just a few minutes. Right now, big story number two. For the David Clark haters out there, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. Um, David Clark announced a few weeks ago that he would be leaving his job as the Milwaukee County Sheriff to take over a position um, in non a non-cabinet-level position at the Department of Homeland Security. The announcement that the sheriff made was premature. These announcements are typically made by Homeland Security, by the Cabinet Secretary, by the Office of the President. Uh, Clark made a premature announcement. What that did is it gave the anti-Clark forces an opportunity to mobilize, and you had one anti-Clark story after another, um, a lot of which, many of which I thought were cheap shots. But in any event, there was this drumbeat against Clark. And I thought it was real interesting from the local groups who were trying to kill this appointment. What, what did this mean? Well, it means that the sheriff is going to be staying. So over the weekend, uh, the sheriff announced that he was withdrawing his name from consideration. He wasn't going to be taking the position. I don't know if that was a decision he made or it was one where the White House said, hey, you're, you're just too controversial right now for this particular spot or whatever. But the bottom line is the sheriff is now staying. So for the people who wanted him gone but wanted to kill this nomination, this job, be careful what you wish for because you might get it. Well, okay, so the sheriff announces he's not leaving. Chris Abley, the Milwaukee County executive, weighs in by saying, well, I'm glad he's not going because I I think he's unqualified, but I think he should resign immediately. Um, The sheriff says, 
Uh, Abley is upset. Again, that's not the word he uses. I will be sheriff until January 2019 at a minimum. That's a long time. He couldn't beat me at the ballot box in 2013 after spending $263,000 of his personal wealth trying to do it. I will resign right after that little mouse does. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Actually, I, I am with an asterisk. I am glad the sheriff is staying. I hope, I hope, however, that the sheriff now, see, I, I've made this argument before. I, I think when you look at the legacy of David Clark, I, I think there, there's really, there, there's like two periods. There's the one period when he took over, when he first got the job, when he was appointed to the, the position in 2002 by then-Governor McCallum. I, I think the first 10, 11, 12 years of the sheriff's tenure, while somewhat controversial, I think in general he did a very, very, very good job. He said things that needed to be said. Um, he took care of some abuses. And I think over the last couple of years, whether he's gotten bored with the job or whatever, I think, you know, there's really the last couple of years is where I think a lot of the criticism that he gets, you know, might be a little bit merited. So I'm, I'm glad he's staying, but I hope he now decides, okay, I want to be the Milwaukee County Sheriff. I'm going to focus my energies over the course of the next year and a half in being the Sheriff Clark that I was seven or eight years ago. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Daryl in Waukesha. Daryl, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm glad that Sheriff Clark uh, didn't get the position at, uh, at Homeland Security. Um, I think he's shown uh, pretty frequently that he uh, has a tendency to abuse his authority, and he hasn't held um, some of the abuses of authority that have happened in his presence. Uh, he hasn't held people accountable. So you don't think he was um, qualified I, for the job in the first place? To, to, no. You, okay, and, got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he didn't get the job. Um, and I'm not happy that he's coming back as Milwaukee County Sheriff, but he won his election. He's entitled to finish out his term, and I hope that the people of Milwaukee – um, wake up and vote him out of office. I really think um, that he's a truly dangerous political figure. Um, when you look at what's happened in his presence with the deaths that's happened, a guy died of thirst. Unless I missed something, he's yet to come out and make any kind of statement about that. Mm-hmm. Um, he accosted a, a passenger at an airport. On that airplane, yeah, that one's gonna, that one's going to be a lawsuit. Way. Yep, that's going to be a lawsuit. Um, I mean, he just—he's a guy who's shown he abuses authority. We, you talked the other day, I know too, about how there's. Um, violent political rhetoric. Yep. I mean, this is a guy who said during um, the election when it looked like Trump was going to lose towards the end of the election, he said it might be time for pitchforks and torches. Right. He's a guy who said the only time I'll reach across the aisle to Democrats is to grab one by the throat. That's, yeah, no, that's I, and I think no, I think you're. I mean, I think there. I, I mean, I, I, I again, that's that's sort of like what you're talking about. What I break into the the two the two eras of David Clark. Um, and, and for the last couple years, he's become much more politically active. And I, I don't know if the, the exposure he's getting, you know, the, the Fox News darling and the traveling all across the, the country and, you know, the involvement in the Trump campaign, I don't know if that's just brought out some of these tendencies or or is that the real David Clark that, that's out there? Um, but I, I guess... I, I would I would hope. See, my my biggest complaint, and I see I don't mind politicians. I, if if Tom Barrett wanted, to, if Hillary Clinton wanted Tom Barrett to travel around the country and campaign for her, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have minded that a, at all. But at the same time, 
I think for, for Sheriff Clark, uh, if he was to be listening to me for advice, which he wouldn't be, I, I, which he doesn't, I, I would just hope that he would say, okay, look, if, if this isn't going to work out, I, I need to focus my attention for the next however many months, the next year and a half, I want to be the sheriff of Milwaukee County. And I want to, if there's problems at the, at the jail, I, I want to deal with those problems. I, I want to address these type of things and, again, focus on the job at hand. If, if he still wants that national position, if he wants to get himself a, a talk show on Fox or on some other places, God bless him. I mean, I don't, I don't have an issue with that, but if that's the case, then he should step down. I mean, I do think for the last couple of years he's sort of been punched out. I think the truth is, you know, when Governor Walker, and I'm a huge personal friend of Scott Walker, you know, when, when he ran for president a couple of years back, there's no question that was a distraction. You know, it, it hurt him. Now, I think he's pretty much overcome that, but it was, it was sort of a distraction. When he ran for president, I think, again, if David Clark is going to be staying, I'd like to hear him say, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to recommit. I'm going to be here for the next year and a half, and I'm going to you know, try to provide the leadership that I provided to the department eight or nine years ago. I'm not burned out. Um, Kathleen in Bayview. Oh, Kathleen? Yes, hello. I'm glad Sheriff Clark is staying, but like I like, uh, heard, that he needs to do his job, and he knew, needs to do it uh, you know, correctly. Right. And, but to my opinion, I wish Chris Abley would leave. <laughs> Well, you know, Abley in his own right is probably not somebody that should be throwing stones. <laughs> you know, That's exactly right. Right. You know, I, I, I just – and candidly, I mean, I understand that there's no love lost between them. And I understand that David Clark can be a very, very polarizing figure. But, you know, Chris Abley is a polarizing figure, too. What's he doing coming out with a statement like this? What purpose does that solve? Uh, serve other than to again try to divide a community that's already divided right correct i mean he he just constantly belittles uh sheriff clark and constantly is constantly on him and i just think that he would be best to leave yeah disabling yeah now th- again and it, it, look and it takes two to tango i mean you know, you know, David Clark escalates wars of words, and you know he he doesn't pull punches on doing those type of things. But at, at the same time, you know, this is one. This is Abley that's starting this one. This is Abley picking this particular fight. It is completely and totally gratuitous. So the headlines are going to be, you know, Clark calls Abley a little mouse. But but it's Abley that picked this particular fight. I'm glad he didn't get Homeland this position, Homeland Security. He's not qualified. Now he should leave. Okay, well, just you know. Shut up and do your job, Chris. I mean, maybe maybe it's not like there's not significant issues in Milwaukee County, if you know what I mean. All right, coming up next, big decision by the Supreme Court that could affect the future of political districts in Wisconsin. And then we're going to talk about this video. Once again, 414-799-1620. If you want us to send you a link to the dash cam video of the shooting at the lakefront Last week, I think this gives a pretty definitive answer on the question of whether or not the jeopardy was justified. Stick around, 917.
It's 920, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The good news is during summertime, many of us get more exercise. The bad news, we tend to be lax on our diet. John McCure, he will help you stay healthy during festival season with some tips from an expert at 420 during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Those tips, when you're walking through the festivals and you see a lot of that fried stuff, just say no. <laughs> that, that starts it. Okay, um, the United States Supreme Court, this is breaking news, has just announced this morning that it is going to hear, it will hear, um, the appeal that the state has filed over the political gerrymandering issue. Now, let me let me back up and explain this, because this, this is, it is a, it is a big deal. Every 10 years... After every census, state legislatures are required to redraw the the boundaries. You know, you have a state assembly person in Wisconsin. There's 99 assembly districts, and then each assembly district is comprised. For every, each state senate district is three assembly districts. So because people move um, during the course of 10 years, after, and, and the districts have to be geographically balanced, Every 10 years, legislatures across the country are required to redraw the the districts um, to reflect the fact that there's the same number of of people in each assembly district, each state senate district, each congressional district. What happens many times is if the legislature is split, like the governor is a Democrat and the legislature, the assembly or the senate is Republican, is Republican, you, you won't be able to get an agreement. In those cases, what happens is typically a, a federal panel, like federal judges, will come in and they will draw the districts. Where, like in Wisconsin in 2011, re- Republicans controlled everything, Republicans got to draw the districts. So the concept of gerrymandering, that's a term that means redrawing districts for partisan political purpose. There's some forms of gerrymandering that are clearly illegal. For example, you can't draw electoral districts based on using race as a factor. If you decide we want to suppress the black vote, for example, so what we're going to do is we're going to take, this is the way it typically happens, we're going to take the heavily African-American districts and we're going to split them up. So instead of having like, one one state assembly, for my pur- pur- our purpose of the argument, instead of having one assembly district that is predominantly a minority district, lots of African Americans, we're going to split and we're going to split that district off. We're going to carve it up into quarters and put you know each of those one quarter of each district in like say surrounding suburban things where it's predominantly white. You, it's illegal to do that. If you're trying to, for example, dilute the impact of race, can't base it on race. What happened in Wisconsin in 2011, and this is not unique. This is what's been going on in Illinois, for example, uh, as well. What they did is they looked at it, and the allegations are they concentrated Democratic votes in Democratic areas. The city of Milwaukee is largely Democratic, all right? The surrounding areas are not. The city of Madison is largely Democratic. Dane County is largely Democratic. So what the people who drew up the electoral districts did is they put a bunch of people who live together in the same districts. All right? Now, you would think that that would make 
sense. I mean, it doesn't, you know, do you really want to, you know, is it fair to, for example, take, you know, some people in the city of Milwaukee, for example, and put them in a Senate district that runs through Milwaukee County, you know, into, you know, Racine County or something like that. They concentrated votes where close to where people lived. The effect of that was you created some very heavily Democratic districts. Um, it's just, for example, the Gwen Moore's congressional district is one of the most Democratic districts in the country. You know, a Republican is not going to win. Uh, but the effect of that is you have some very heavily Democratic districts and you have a lot of very heavily Republican Democratic districts. So the argument that is made is by doing it this way, by congregating people close to where they live, the effect is you have diluted the effect uh, you made a lot of districts that aren't competitive. Um, now, I think, you know, can make a strong argument that the fact that, you know, people choose, if, if lots of Democrats want to live in Milwaukee County, that is the deci- or the city of Milwaukee, that's the decision they're making. And it shouldn't be illegal to say, okay, if we've got all sorts of people that are living in close to proximity, that that's going to be what the voting district is. But the argument was, and the argument that was made is, this discriminated against people because you created some of these districts which weren't competitive. You put all these Democrats in one district, and yeah, Democrats going to win that district, but the three surrounding districts are now heavily Republican, so you've given Republicans an advantage. Okay, so that, that's the argument. And the argument is that this should be illegal. There's no court... There, there's no Supreme Court decision that ever said this is illegal. It is illegal to discriminate based on race and things like that. Um, a two-to-one panel of three federal judges ruled last fall that Wisconsin had drawn these state assembly maps that were he- so heavily skewed for Republicans that they violated the voting rights of Democrats. With all due respect, in my opinion, this is an absurd decision. Just ridiculous. It, you put people in close proximity to each other because they live in close proximity to each other. But in any event, this morning, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed that it would hear this case. So they will decide. Now, historically, like I say, gerrymandering has been tossed out if it was based on race or religion or some impermissible illegal motive. This, the question becomes, making people, if you've got heavily areas where lots of Democrats or Republicans live, is it illegal to draw maps that put them all in together? I I just, I think this, like I say, with all due respect, I think it is an absurd decision, and I think the Supreme Court is going to find no problem with these lines. But this is a test case, because lots of states do exactly what they did in Wisconsin, creating the sort of super-majority type of districts. In this case, because most of the Democrats tend to congregate in just a couple areas in the state, it does have the effect of benefiting Republicans statewide. But the flip side is, if you're going to do the opposite, you have to start putting, you start have to start carving up districts and breaking up certain areas, and that creates problems. So, in any event, the Supreme Court agreed to hear this. I think the Supreme Court is going to find it is permissible what the Republicans did, but we'll find out in a while. All right, coming up next. Big thing number three, it is this lakefront video. Once again, if you want to see it, 414-799-1620, just text us the word Bradford. We will ship it to you. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 
935, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What is the referendum reform initiative and why would lawmakers say no to local control? Get the surprising details during Scafidi and Bill Stat. Tune in, 135, here on WTMJ. All right, I have been an advocate for the longest time on, on, on police body cameras. I, I think my, I understand that there's an expense, but my belief is the vast majority of time, if the police have body cameras or dashboard cameras that show what happened, most of the time that is going to show that the police behaved absolutely appropriately. Because a lot of the claims and a lot of the complaints about, okay, this happened or that happened, you know, just turn out to be blatantly false. You know, and, and we've seen situations like that. You, you had the story, what, last week where you had the illegal aliens rights group that was all upset because they were alleging, you know, that somebody was stopped and they were questioned about their um, citizenship. Well, you've got the you've now got the, the dashboard camera and the body camera that shows that that was completely and totally untrue. I mean, just just absolutely, you know, untrue. What was it? Greendale it was a complaint filed against the Greendale police. You see it and the person. All right, then confronted with the video evidence that it didn't happen, ends up backing off. All right, everybody knows the story by now. A week ago, Sunday, you had an incident down at the lakefront. It was a warm evening. The lakefront is completely crowded. There is now a video of the shooting. And again, we've been making it available. I know hundreds of you have taken advantage of this. If you haven't seen it, uh, you can just text us the word Bradford, 414-799-1620, and we'll send you the link. But, but, But here's what happens. Okay, the lakefront is jammed. It is like 7.30 on a warm Sunday evening. What happens is there is uh, an Audi SUV that is heading north up Lincoln Memorial Drive and makes an illegal left turn. Now, there's all sorts of cars. I mean, the traffic is bumper to bumper. Makes an illegal left turn to head up that, that water tower road, you know, so to head west going ups to get off the the lakefront so and and you can see this and they've got now the video of the sheriff's dash dash cam you can see the car has made the illegal left turn the dash cam video comes in right after that so now it's bumper to bumper traffic you've got the audi um heading up heading west on that water tower road um you have the sheriff's deputy behind it and this is the sheriff's uh, dashboard cam as the as the car is heading west heavy traffic the lights are on you can hear the, the sheriff on the loudspeaker the deputy saying pull over to the right okay it, it, this all starts because the car made an illegal left turn so instead of as they're heading west going up that hill if you can picture the area instead of pulling over to the right what happens is the guy driving the Audi makes a sudden left, veers left suddenly, and there, there's a gap. It's amazing that there's there's a gap between two cars that are heading towards the lakefront on this water tower road. goes between the gap on the cars, gets up on, on the grassy area there, and drives at a high rate of speed on the grassy area, heading back towards Lincoln Memorial Drive, which is packed. The sheriff's deputy is in pursuit. Now, some of the videos you see are in slow motion, and even in slow motion, you can tell the car's moving pretty darn fast. But this is this SUV driving a long while across, like, this grassy area. What happens then is the car 
gets onto Lincoln Memorial Drive. Sheriff's deputy is in pursuit. It crosses the southbound lane of Lincoln Memorial Drive, um, kind of goes up over a median strip, swings around, and then starts heading north on Lincoln Memorial Drive. The sheriff's deputy is behind it. The car then goes up on the curb, getting back onto the median strip. It almost kind of bottoms out. And there's a sheriff's deputy who's in the median. The car, and this is the way it looks to me, the SUV, it looks to me like they were trying to run over the sheriff. I mean, it hadn't, it's heading pretty much straight for the sheriff, de- the sheriff's deputy. Maybe it's kind of a tough angle, and maybe it's slightly off at the side, but that SUV is heading right for the sheriff's deputy or close to him. The sheriff's deputy pulls out his gun and fires a couple shots into the SUV as it is passing him. He kind of jumps out of the way and shoots at the car as it's going past we all now know it, it hit and killed the driver, who was a 19-year-old man. The SUV then kind of comes to a stop. It kind of goes back into the road and comes to a stop. It is dramatic, dramatic video. Why the driver chose to run, we do not know. We do know that there is a belief, allegedly, the 19-year-old driver was involved with another buddy of his in a shooting incident the day before where shots were fired out of this particular car. But we, we don't know why the guy chose to run. But you can see in the video that he did choose to run. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When I first heard about the story, and I, I just I heard the, the word pictures and descriptions, it was very clear to me, and I've argued this on the radio, that under circumstances like this, when you have a car that tries to flee and drives at a high rate of speed in a congested area like this, you just can't let that car go because it could hit and kill somebody. Having watched this video, having seen the recklessness of the driver, and in particular, once at the end of this chase, Once the driver pulls up onto this median strip and starts heading, in my opinion, directly for the sheriff's deputy, I don't think there's any question in the world that this was a a reasonable use of deadly force. To me, this video completely and totally ends any question about this at all. And it is unfortunate that this young man lost his life. But candidly, the only person responsible for this, it's not the Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputies who either initiated this chase or the deputy who fired shots. It's the guy behind the wheel of the car. You look at this video, and to me, it's not even close that reasonable force was, you know, it was a reasonable use of deadly force. 414-799-1620, 800-877-414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, to me, this is case closed. I understand the Waukesha County Sheriff's Deputy Department is investigating this, and I encourage them to do the investigation and talk to witnesses, but all this outrage about this, oh, he shouldn't have done that, he should have tried to shoot out the tires. You look at this video, and candidly, I think pretty much anybody under similar circumstances would have done the same thing. I think this is case closed. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss next. It's 942. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 946. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I, I look at this dash cam video. 
And this is one where it's not a picture worth a thousand words, but but clearly a video is worth a thousand words. You watch what you watch what the driver did a week ago Sunday night in an effort to try to get away from a routine traffic stop, driving across the grass, crossing different lanes on uh, Lincoln Memorial Drive, pulling up onto a median strip, and it looks to me like trying to run down a sheriff's deputy. Um, you, you understand why the sheriff's deputy fired shots into that car. I think, I understand last week there were protests, people demanding justice and criminal charges and stuff. Nuts to that. This this looks like about as justified a shooting as you can possibly imagine. And it's unfortunate that the young man lost his life. But you know what? If you try to run down police officers and you flee from cops in heavily congested areas, bad things are going to happen to you. 414-799-1620, uh, our text line. My name is Richie from Milwaukee. I totally agree. Um, if you watch the video, you can tell the driver accelerates at the officer. 99.99% of anybody in that predicament is going to do what the sheriff did. Case closed. Ray in Milwaukee. Ray, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. I just um, I had, I saw the video. I watched on your uh, your website right. there, and I think what people are failing to realize is that this this chase lasted all of I think about forty five seconds, and that right. that sheriff's deputy in the medium there, he was there, which I believe I've been down on Bradford Beach on these evenings, and traffic is horrible there. So I believe he was there directing traffic. He wasn't there setting up some sort of you know high speed trap to try and stop this guy. He was simply in the median waiting. Right. directing traffic when this unfolded and, and i think it was literally 45 seconds from from start to finish of the chase it was very quick right so i mean he's sitting there he has no idea um why this person's running why this person may even be coming at him i mean he probably had maybe 10 seconds worth of radio traffic saying that this was even coming his direction maybe right maybe um, yeah <laughs> so so de- definitely he was i mean he was in fear of his life um if a car is coming at him like that has no idea who this person is, what they're doing. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping that this will be uh, a case closed and they'll be able to explain exactly, you know, why there aren't any charges or exactly what was going on. So. No, yeah, I, I mean, th- I, I'm with now, thanks, Nicole. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. There, there's a police officer, a former police officer, who's on trial right now. Uh, the defense is presenting the testimony. There's, um, you know, the Slaville Smith shooting. This is the one that started the Sherman Park riots a, a year ago. Um, it, it's... You know, you've got the officer being second-guessed, um, and I, honestly, I don't think that you're going to get a conviction in that case either, but I, I, I don't know. I haven't sat in the case. A day. But you have, um, you know, an armed suspect being chased. Um, an officer fires two shots, two seconds apart from each other, actually like one and a half seconds apart from each other. They say the first one was justified, the second one wasn't Um interesting that you're going to take that position and i'll have more to say about that after the jury gets the case but you, you've got these officers that are being second guessed in this particular situation i mean i'm trying to imagine i'm a deputy all of a sudden and you're exactly right ray this happens over the course of just 30 40 seconds total you've got this speeding car that's now endangered the lives of all sorts of civilians it's up on the median strip it is coming at you um where do you let it do you let it go you know, I, I think clearly this was an act of self-defense. I, it's just, it's not even close. And you look at the video, and it's pretty darn dramatic, indicating what happened. Like I say, it's unfortunate that the guy lost his life, but he's the one that caused this. You can't drive a speeding van as part of a chase directly at a police officer on a median strip and expect 
that there's not going to be consequences. In this case, it was unfortunate. Jerry in Milwaukee. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I agree totally with what you guys were just talking about. But the other thing is, too, we are not standing behind our policemen. In all of these incidents lately, you've got a criminal that is doing, you know, wrong things, endangering people's lives. Yep. And what are we doing? We're, we're settling lawsuits for people that are criminals. Yep. Why are we standing up for, you know, the policemen that are protecting us? Well, because there, there's some people. No, it is frustrating. I mean, thanks for calling. It is frustrating, and, and some of this is this degree of of look. We don't have the death penalty for trying to flee police officers. All right, so I mean, I I, I always I, I don't want to necessarily focus on consequences. You ran from the police, so you got what you deserved. No, we don't have the death penalty for that, but we do allow officers to use deadly force when their lives are threatened or the lives of other people are threatened. And you're driving a speeding van. It appears to me either directly at or in near proximity to a sheriff's deputy in a median strip. Yes, that is posing a threat to his life. It is posing a threat to the lives of other people. And you get, and that's the use of deadly force. And wouldn't it be interesting to see some of these, some of these, the usual suspects who show up and they want to denounce the police and they want to accuse the police to maybe like turn the focus into what was it? Why was it that the police had to act in the fashion that they did? The, the, the cops aren't the bad guys. I guarantee you. And, of course, you know, now the, the Journal Sentinel, they, they've got this. First of all, they wrote, they had an intern, right, a genuinely stupid, in my opinion, front-page story last week saying, we, we've talked to all sorts of experts, and they say it's not a good idea to shoot at a fleeing vehicle. Oh, okay, right, right, as I was explaining last week. We, we don't it's not like the movies it's not like you know bullet or wherever where you know you've got the like a high-speed chase and you got the police trying to shoot out cars okay that that doesn't happen but this this wasn't a high-speed chase this wasn't as a fleeing vehicle this was a vehicle driving directly at a police officer for god's sake and i think the story did a huge disservice and it was just frankly dumb um because it takes a, a general concept yes do you generally shoot at fleeing vehicles no you don't but it, it leaves out the important fact is if the fleeing vehicle is posing a threat to the life of the officer or to other people in the area and you need to use deadly force well that, that's what the justification was so so, I mean, I, I thought it was a silly story. They're writing these stories now about how the officer was. What's the story here? Um, I even hesitate to go into it because it's, again, just an unfortunate one. The officer officer involved in lakefront shooting was involved in a lawsuit, was sued in 2000. 10. He'd been working at Boston store in Racine as a theft prevention agent. He and another store employee accused the janitor twice of stealing $25 bracelets and another time of grabbing and eating a Godiva candy bar while at work without paying for it. Um, they ended up getting the guy arrested and they filed a lawsuit. What the hell does that have to do with, with what happened at the lakefront? But again, that's the local newspaper, again, trying to, I think, He'll pander to a certain part of the community and create issues that really aren't there. What does the lawsuit, somebody sues this guy, and I don't even know if there was recovery or not, but somebody files a lawsuit against him in 2010 when he's working as a security guard. You know, what the, the case was settled. So don't, don't know what that means. Don't, case was settled. So that is relevant because why local newspaper? But this all ties into, again, it's the the war on police and the rush we have to second-guess officers. And in this case, like I'm saying, 
you, maybe maybe you can look at that video and see something that I don't see. You look at that video, you look at it in slow motion, you look at it in real time, and I think the only conclusion you can come to is this is a tragic situation, but it was caused and brought about purely 100% by the driver of that vehicle. If there's ever a graphic video demonstration of, of what is a justified shooting, I think you see it in that video. It's 954, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our classic free ride makes a pit stop tomorrow in beautiful Okachi. Join John McCure in Wisconsin's Afternoon News as they broadcast live from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. Register to win the amazing 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Dirk Bentley perform at Summerfest. That's tomorrow from 3 to 6 at the Golden Mast Inn on Okachi Lake. It's WTMJ's classic free ride sponsored by New Mail Medical in Tosa and Summerfest. Just a couple um, things on our text line. The headline in the paper should have been, Officer Saves Lives by Stopping SUV Heading Towards Pedestrians. Well, no, that wouldn't sell as many papers. Connie and Delavan, uh, let's see, uh, we have another text. Has anyone thought that this is similar to a van trying to run down pedestrians on a London bridge? Did he even for a second think this van was a terrorist? This is not an insular word. No, I think what happened is the deputy saw this van coming directly at him on the median strip and shot to eliminate the threat to save his life and to potentially save the lives of others. Uh, I think it's pretty much about as close to an open and shut case as you're going to see. And it's one of the reasons why I think in many cases it's good to have these dashboard cameras. It's good to have police wearing body cameras. So then you, you get a clear you get a clear, unarguable position about what it is that happened. Hey, coming up in a couple minutes, big concert at Lambeau Field last weekend. Want to get some reports from the front. Uh, Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman says he's not going to seek a second term, term, and Democrats are jumping up and down um, in glee. Again, be careful what you wish for. It might come true. Stick around. 959, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1008. This is Jeff Wagner. Hondo. Jane, you are friends of mine. And so as a result, your troubles, your worries are now over. I am cutting you in on this, all right? So I think we, we need to go down collectively and give our program director and give the general manager notice, okay? Because this your, your worries are over. Excellent. All right, here's the deal. Five minutes ago, I've got my email up. I got the email that is going to change all our lives. Here it is. Um, dear email, it's Western Union. It says Western Union right on this email I got. Moving money for better. Dear email beneficiary, we wish to inform you that you are one of the seven email beneficiaries approved to receive the sum of $1.5 million. Nice. In the ongoing U.S. UN Humanitarian Aid Poverty Alleviation Program. Ah. They have singled me out. million. All right. The United Nations organization has deposited your funds with us at the Western Union Payout Center in Malaysia. All right. Sure. sure. It's Malaysia. Makes perfect sense. Absolutely. And they have contacted us to take full responsibility in the transfer process of the funds to all seven beneficiaries. 
Okay. Ah. ah, all right. See, and I'm willing to share with you guys here, but I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something here in, in a minute to, to get your, your, your cut. They have now ordered us to take full responsibility in the transfer process of your funds. Yes, it's so messy to get that $1.5 million to me and and commence the immediate remittance of your funds to you. Sure. All right, good, good. Give not wait. Be strongly informed that because of our Western Union transfer policy, your funds will be paid to you via our Western Union daily transfer limit of $7,600 a day. So like Western Union, I, there's a million five sitting there waiting for me, but they, but they can only give me $7,600 a day. Okay. Sure. This means that you will continuously receive a daily amount of $7,600 from us. And this amount can be collected from any of our numerous Western Union outlets in your current location. Okay. To begin receiving your daily payment, as stated above, we do need some information. We need you to provide us with your full name, address, and phone number. Upon receipt of the requested details, your first transaction will be activated, and then we shall proceed to provide you with the money transfer control number for the first installment, and we will continue to email you and others after 24 hours of receiving each payment. For more information on your payment status, call Mrs. Franca Lee on our 24-hour Helpline. They've got the email there. For any inquiries on the above missions, your message, yours truly, Western Union Malaysia. Oh, let's call her. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, right, right yeah, right. yeah Hondo's like, why are we starting to talk? Let, let's head on down there. Okay, so so now here here's the deal. I, I, obviously, this is too good to be true. I mean, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a good day, you know, when I was coming in here. So the only thing I would ask one of you to do is maybe, you know, you want to call... <laughs> No, maybe in your Jane, you're thinking you want to, you want to call. I'll call her. Okay, I'll, I'll, absolutely, I, absolutely. I'll, I'll, we'll 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 call and see what this is. You you think that, and I'm will I'm willing to cut you guys in. Okay, seventy six hundred dollars a day. We divide it by three. I I, I tell you what, uh, that's that's good with me because there's a million five just sitting there I mean, to, you're, to, you're, to help alleviate poverty as part of UN humanitarian aid. So nice. It, it just is. Well, just you know, who knew? And, and that's I, so you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> One of seven email beneficiaries. Okay, well, all right, we're we're going to explore this there. So, uh, if you happen, uh, now I wonder how many other people are one of these seven beneficiaries that are out there. I, I'm just saying. Tread cautiously. Just, just tread cautiously. Maybe we won't quit our jobs for the for the time being. But we'll, 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 we'll turn it over to our news department. Honda's <laughs> already sent his email. Yeah, well, maybe that's when you want to just say, say dis- all right. We're we're going to check that out. We'll we'll give you an update as to whether we really have made all this money. I would be um, I'd be a little bit careful, but if, if it's true, Jane, our worries are over. I'm 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 happy. Our worries are over. Um, we will check that out. Okay, when we come back, uh, Lambeau Field, site of a con- wait. No, here, there's the email. Don't go anywhere. Let's let's find out what. The, <laughs> let's find out. Yeah, for seventy six hundred dollars a day, darn right. Our news department will call. Um, when we come back, a big event at Lambeau Field. Matter of fact, let's 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For years and years and years, uh, Lambeau Field was was the home of the Packers and, and just the home of the Packers. They have started to host concerts there. And uh, Saturday night, uh, you had a beautiful night. You had Billy Joel playing. The crowd was like forty to 45,000 people. I know some people who went. They were raving about the experience. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have never seen a concert in Lambeau Field. I've seen nothing but Packers games. 
I, I just just one segment on this. If you were at the show, if you were at the Billy Joel show, was it as good as everybody's saying? Is the venue great? Should they be doing more things like this with Lambeau Field, giving people an opportunity to experience something other than football? If you went to the Billy Joel show, I'd love to talk to you. Just one segment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back next. It's 1014. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. If you weren't aware, um, Saturday night, Billy Joel played Lambeau Field. Forty to 45,000 people attended. It's typically not necessarily a venue you think that would be great for concerts, but I will tell you, um, I, I know several people that went. Everybody I know is just raving about the experience, which now then raises the question, you know, would you like to see more shows in that venue? Let's start with Kim in Menasha. Kim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Yes, it was a great venue. And what I was impressed with is I was I had a field ticket, and the tick, uh, the field was well covered with this hard plastic. So that's what my concern was, that the field would be damaged. But, no, it was amazing. The weather turned out perfect, and Billy Joel was awesome. How was and the sound? And how, another thing, oh, it how, was all ages. It was just great. How was the sound? The sound was excellent, and yeah. my daughter and I sat in the back of the field section. Oh, yes. No problem with the sound. Um, had, had you had you been to Lambeau Field before? Oh yes, I'm a season ticket. Okay, got it. Yeah, because it's I mean it's a perfect venue, of course, for for watching football and stuff. But now it seemed now I, I know they've had they've had a country concert there. Kenny Chesney played there, as I recall, right? Yes. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So you'd like to see them do more of this? Oh yes, it was amazing. Yeah. Thank, no. That, well, that, and and that's. I'm told that Billy Joel put on a really, really good show as well. Uh, John in Tigerton. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Did you go to the show? Yes, my wife took me for Father's Day. Oh, cool. So it was, it was, it was excellent. They, I know you were wondering about the sound, and uh, they have getting some practice in, and it, it was the sound was awesome. And again, we were. Probably as far as you could get from the stage right. on the opposite side of the stadium, but the spacing, the speakers, everything really worked out well. And with the exception of Billy fighting the flies <laughs> and the mosquitoes with the fly swatter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was uh, just an incredible show. Yeah, I, I I did hear that there there were like bugs that were flying around and stuff. So he was dealing with that. But you know, it, it's a summertime. It's an outdoor concert. Thanks for well, that. That's great to hear. Like I say, everybody I know had a really really good time. And you know, I, I think one of the things that's very cool about this is there. That whole area around, you know, Lambeau Field, you know, the Packers have been buying up space, you know, they're turning it into that title town district. Um, and the truth is, I think five years from now, you know, you're just not even going to recognize that entire area with all the stuff they're doing. But making Lambeau Field an entertainment venue, a destination venue beyond just the, the Packers and the Hall of Fame and all that stuff, I think they're really on to something. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I just want to say that. I um, I actually worked at the concert last night, and I've also worked at the two previous Kenny Chesney ones. Right. This one was incredibly well-organized. Live Nation did a lot of that. Um, it, every, you know, the, the, the crowd was, was incredibly 
you know, um, I, and I guess decent. You know, they they sure. weren't they weren't running in the aisles. They were they were well behaved. Um, the the Green Bay Packers security did an amazing job of you know helping people do this and that. And PMI was there getting people in their seats because right. you know when you're on the field like that, there's everybody somebody's trying to sit in somebody else's seats and. It it was so incredible. I'm just so impressed with how it went compared to the the two Kenny Chesneys, where there was a lot of ejections and mm-hmm. and and people were stumbling drunk. Um, yeah, it was it was amazing. The song was incredible. He was incredible. Um, I mean, it's a it's, it's a perfect concert as far as all the other ones that I've ever been to. Was, was there? Did you know? Was there tailgating going on? Were a lot of people tailgating beforehand? There was there was a little, but not you know okay. not not much. I mean, I only really only saw one person. I think that had probably had too much to drink, right? Um, and it was a lot of older an older crowd sure. and so well behaved and so polite and so respectful. It was just well, that's I the, just I, had a great time. Yeah, the th- see, and that, that's what's good to hear because I, I will tell you that the the, the one turnoff I have to some of the, the really large. The, the stadium shows or at, at the places like Alpine Valley and stuff is the fact that, as I admit this, as I get older, I have less tolerance for, you know, what they used to call at the Brewers games, the two-fisted sloppers. I mean, it's kind of like you're paying a lot of money to go see these shows. And, I mean, I, I appreciate having a good time. I like to have a good time as well as the next guy, maybe more than most. But still, the idea that, you know, you're, you're there with the people who are just, like, blind, drunk, and obnoxious and things like that. So that's good to hear. Debbie on our text line says, um, the Billy Joel concert was awesome, just awesome. Um, add, yes, the venue is the best sound absolutely excellent i think that is the overriding uh, position there and i hope this is i hope it's really the impetus for the packers to do this more and more to use that facility at lambeau field uh, again not just when the packers are playing but to, to use it to bring you know acts that can fill stadiums up to uh, the northern part of our listening area it is 10:23 when we come back well lots of stuff going on including a constitutional convention to balance the federal budget. Be careful what you wish for. We'll discuss. It's 1023. It's 1025. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride is out of our garage and ready to head into yours. You can register online to win the 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible by heading to WTMJ.com. Sponsored by Prescient Financial Solutions with Northwestern Mutual. And don't forget to text the word RIDE to 414-799-1620 to check out a photo gallery of your next car. So, Jane Matner, do we, do we have an answer? Unfortunately, Jeff, and I know you will be shocked. Okay, by let, this. let's back before uh, back up. I at the start of the hour, I I got a I got a text saying any financial worries I might have are over um, because I I'd won some one point five million dollars sitting in Western Union waiting for me to draw on it seventy six hundred dollars a day. All I had to do was call this number. I offered to share it with my dear friends, Jane Matinair and Hondo, but, you know, I did ask Jane to make that call. So, okay, when do we start collecting the dough? Unfortunately, Jeff, and I did check the country code for Malaysia, and the phone number does have the correct country code. It is not a working number. It's not a working number. I know it's shocking. Considering this is coming from the U.N. Humanitarian Aid Poverty Alleviation Program. 
It's not a working number. Oh, my goodness gracious. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Well, I'm disappointing you, too, because I was going to share the <laughs> dough with you. This, this, was, this was not a one-way. This was, I mean, I, I was just going to absolutely share. Um, you wonder how many people you know, look at that stuff, and now you wonder how many people are sitting there figuring, like, why isn't this a working number? What am I doing? Why is there one extra digit or, or whatever? How do I get my money? Yeah. You can't try. There, yeah. Yes. These, sadly, these things do not exist. And if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be well, true. Well, see, my, my hook is, I, I have to tell you, I'm actually a little bit surprised that it wasn't necessarily a working number. Because in the bottom text of the email, you know, it said name, address, phone number. My guess was that when you called, if you got a person, they'd be asking you for some other identifying information as well, you know, the, the Social Security sure. number or, or something sure, like, like that. that. Oh, and, and by the way, here's what we're going to do. We can't, you know, we, we have to transfer this. We need a bank account, you know, because we, we, Western Union Western Union wants this, so we need a bank account. I, that was kind of my guess as to where this was going to go. But it's not even a working number. Sadly, no. And I tried it, I tried it like five times. <laughs> I really, really wanted okay. to talk to her. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and just because it was going to be a great story regardless, and, and since I, I would have, I would have, if it was really like $7,600 a day to $1.5 million gone, I would be more than willing to share with you guys. Just, um, okay, well, another dream shattered. Uh, by the way, quick programming note, um, earlier this morning we were talking about the, the big, and it is a big decision, the United States Supreme Court has Except, agreed to hear what's being called the political gerrymandering case out of Wisconsin. Um, every 10 years, as I was explaining a little while ago, every 10 years, um, you're required to redraw legislative districts based on the, the census. People move, and, and the districts are supposed to have the same number of people. Gerrymandering is where you uh, break up political break up particular districts for political purposes. Um, there's some gerrymandering, which is clearly illegal, um, trying to do it, again, to delete uh, or to try to deplete minority representation. So you take a heavily, let's say, majority-minority district, and you split it up so that, um, again, you, you can't elect, for example, a minority candidate. That's clearly illegal. By a two-to-one vote, a panel of federal judges ruled that what Wisconsin Republicans did in 2011 where it wasn't based on on race, it wasn't based on ethnicity. What they did is they drew districts that concentrate, like lots of Democrats live in Milwaukee, so there's heavily Democratic districts in the city of Milwaukee, but that means the suburban districts are heavily Republican, and this was called political gerrymandering designed to dilute the Democratic vote, and by a two-to-one vote, uh, pretty much an unprecedented thing, the this Court of Appeals said, yes, we, we agree that there is a problem with this. The Supreme Court of the U.S. agreed to hear this case today. And coming up in 35 minutes at 11.08, we're going to be talking to the man who brought the appeal, the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, Brad Schimmel. We're going to talk political gerrymandering with him. That's coming up, like I say, in about 35 minutes. Coming up in just a couple minutes, be careful what you wish for. Do we really want a constitutional convention? <laughs> Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. 
What is the Referendum Reform Initiative, and why would lawmakers say no to local control? Get the surprising details during Scafidi and Billstead, 135, here on WTMJ. Uh, about 30 minutes or so, we'll be joined by the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, who has brought the appeal uh, to challenges to redistricting in the state. This is a case that has, um, well, mammoth potential. Um, candidly, Candidly, if the opponents of what the legislature did in 2011 get their way, it will dramatically affect the way electoral districts are chosen moving forward. So we'll be talking to Brad Schimmel about that. That is at 1108. All right, let me back into this topic. I, um, whenever there is an act of violence in the city of Milwaukee, you the, the default position, almost always, the default position from both the police chief and the, the mayor is to blame the laws. Whenever there's a crime committed with a gun, the argument is we, we need tougher gun laws, right? That That's their fallback position. And my argument has always been, candidly, I, I have, I'm... I'm not opposed to tougher gun laws. I mean, I, I don't have a problem. If you if you want to impose a five-year mandatory minimum penalty on somebody for carrying a gun while they commit a crime, I, I'm all in favor of it. But you don't need tougher laws. The laws that are out there provide lots and lots of penalties. The problem is you have judges who won't impose substantial penalties. So, yes, you have this crime that is committed with a gun, and, you know, you've got the mayor and the police chief will say, well, we need tougher laws. Well, most times, there's probably, you know, you, you could, if you wanted to, prosecute somebody to the fullest, and you had a judge that would sentence the person to the fullest, you know, they'd be doing 30 or 40 or 50 years in prison. So it's not necessarily tougher gun laws. It's that you need more aggressive enforcement, more aggressive prosecution, and more aggressive sentencing. I mean, it's a system that is kind of flawed, but it, but it's not the penalties. Right? I, I kind of look at this story about a constitutional convention in the same way. Under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution, and please just bear with me, don't, don't have your eyes glaze over, Article 5 of the Constitution allows a convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution to be held if two-thirds of the states, that's 34, call for one. So if 34 states call for a constitutional convention, what could what we what could happen is people could get together and they could start changing the Constitution. After this convention would come out, what would happen is 38 states would then have to ratify the changes. But the first step would be, let's get together and let's rewrite the Constitution. All right? There has not been a constitutional convention since 1787. So that's 230 years. Well, what happened last week is the Wisconsin Assembly voted 54 to 41 to call for a constitutional convention. Um, Right now, let me see, what's the number? 27 states have called for this. They need 34. Some called for it decades ago, but they, they ultimately need 34. If the state Senate were to go along with the state assembly, Wisconsin would then become the, the 28th state. Now, the reason for that some people say they want a constitutional convention is because they want to call for a balanced budget amendment 
to the federal constitution. In other words, they, they want to change the constitution to say that the government can't be involved in deficit spending, essentially that there has to be a balanced budget. Like in Wisconsin, there has to be a balanced budget. And the idea is we'll have this convention to write it into the constitution, that there has to be a balanced budget. Now, there is nothing, there is nothing in the Constitution, though, that stops stops this Constitutional Convention from doing whatever it wants. I mean, ostensibly, you could get it together to say, okay, we're going to work on a balanced budget amendment, but they could also do all sorts of other things. You, they could do, and really, it's pretty much unlimited. The only check would be that 38 states need to ratify it. All right. Let me just, and I understand maybe I'm breaking with conservative orthodoxy here, but I think a couple things. First of all, I think this is a bad idea. All right? We have not had one of these in 230 years. I think it is a bad idea to start trying to rewrite the Constitution. And I think when you get something like this together, you open the door to all sorts of things, who knows what amendments might get put into place. And I understand you've got the check and balance of, you know, 38 states have to ratify it. But still, do we want to open the door and do we want to go down this route? That's number one. Number two, on the question of balanced budgets, on the question of balanced budget, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Do you really... Do you let what let us say that we end up and I, I hope this is never the case um, that suddenly we are thrust into a war. There is a, a another surprise attack on the United States and we end up in a shooting war in some part of the country that spread in some part of the world that then spreads across the world. If you've got a balanced budget amendment, what what does that do? Does that mean we we can't borrow money to and fund munitions or pay more people in the military? I mean, candidly, and this gets back to the way I started this with the idea of do we really need more gun laws? You know, if you want a balanced budget, it's easy to do. You just need politicians that have the willpower to do it. There's nothing that stops people in Washington, D.C., if they think it makes sense, our elected officials from coming out with a balanced budget. Why do you need a congressional um, change? Why do you need a constitutional change to do it? Okay, and I understand this is kind of wonky, but this, this, is, this is sort of a big deal. We haven't had one of these in 230 years. On our text line, Dan says... People need to be careful what they wish for. It theoretically could be hijacked by the left, and you know who, who knows what uh, this could turn this country into. Yet you open the door to start rewriting the Constitution, and who knows what you might get. All right, but I understand right now th- this is right now this is a conservative-driven movement. We need a balanced budget amendment. Let's rewrite the Constitution. Let's have this constitutional convention. I think it's a bad idea. I don't think you should need a constitutional amendment to do that. Um, You just need politicians with willpower. But more importantly, I just think the potential for bad stuff to happen is great. It's huge. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Constitution... Nothing's happened. It hasn't been one of these since 200, 230 years. I think you let sleeping dogs lie. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. It's 1042. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Andrew and Greenfield writes, sad that we need a constitutional amendment to tell us that spending more money than you have is in most cases a bad idea. Yes, that 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 is correct. My point, though, is I don't think you should need a constitutional amendment to do this. You just, you need, if you think a balanced budget amendment is important, well, all you need is a balanced budget. That just means you need a president and elected officials who, who go about it and do that. Now, there are problems, though, with a balanced budget amendment. And, and this is, I guess, the point that I think it's one of these things that sounds real good. Oh, you know, we want to have a balanced budget. But, but what do you do? How do you do that? How do you deal with a balanced budget if it's a constitutional thing and so you have no authority to, for example, deficit spend or to borrow money or whatever? How do you do that in a time of crisis? I mean, what do you do? Again, my example was war breaks out. So all of a sudden you need to... World War II, you need to sell war bonds, all right? We, we need to, you need to uh, borrow money, you need to float things, you need to figure out a way to pay for stuff, sometimes locking yourself in. Do I agree that a balanced budget is, is an important way to go? Yeah, I do. But there would need to be so many exceptions to it, even if you did it, that it, it seems to me you're, you're talking about something that's like Swiss cheese with so many different holes that would be, in fact, in it. So... Given that it's probably not a reality, why bother even opening this door? Because even though, and for example, in the state assembly, when they voted for it, they called for the constitutional convention simply to deal with the balanced budget issue. But the truth of the matter is, and this happened historically back in 1787, once these delegates get together, they could do anything they want. They could repeal the Second Amendment. I mean, that that is something that could, you know, come out of this. There's all sorts of things. And again, I think some people say, oh, this is a good idea. It might be good. Do you really want to open up the Constitution to the vagaries of the political process? Do you want the 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 Bernie bots to decide that they're going to show up and try to push to turn this into a socialist country? It could, in fact, happen. And you know very well that there would be a push for this to happen. I understand the check and balance is you've got 38 states that you know ultimately would have to ratify any change. But given all that is going on in the world, do you really even want to go down this route in the first place? And my answer would be no. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking to the Attorney General about uh, the whole gerrymandering decision. And a little bit later on, and a number of people have been emailing me and texting me, uh, the state, DNR, makes a very controversial decision with regard to the state fair. And I want to talk to you about that as well. Coming up in just a couple minutes, uh, there's going to be a new Supreme Court justice by this time next year. And candidly, again, in the category, and this is the theme, one of the themes of today's program, be careful what you wish for, you might get it, for everybody on the left that is taking victory laps saying, hey, Judge uh, Mike Gableman's decided he's not going to run for re-election, be careful what you wish for, um, it might come true. It's 1050, this is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It took months 
for Valenti Classics to build this year's incredible WTMJ Classic free ride. How did they do it? Check out the time-lapse video of the entire restoration in the Classic Free Ride Garage section of WTMJ.com. Hey, and when you're at WTMJ.com, we've got our mobile app section. You can download podcasts of the show, and I know lots and lots of people do that, and I very much appreciate it. Okay, it's only June of 2017, and already, uh, believe it or not, elections in 2018 are heating up. Uh, During the the top-of-the-hour news, Jane was talking about how some guy that got trounced by Paul Ryan is talking about running against him as a Democrat. There was a character from Ohio who was moving to Wisconsin to run against Paul Ryan. Um, they, you know, it's, that's just like cattle fodder. I mean, that's what it's going to be. But here, here is the ultimate Don Quixote. Now, Paul Nalen, Paul Nalen was kind of this sort of rogue conservative who decided that he wanted to challenge Paul Ryan. And remember, like Sarah Palin and, and Donald Trump were, they were mad at Ryan at the time. And they were saying, oh, that this Nalen candidacy is going to be great. Um, well, he, he got, he got drugged. He lost he lost to Paul Ryan in the Republican primary by 68 points. I mean, that's, that, that's got to hurt. He lost by 68 points. And this is despite having like high-power national people come in and raising funds and things like that. Now, you would think, you know, it's one thing to lose an election. It's another thing to lose an election by 68 points. Maybe you would get the idea that people just weren't that into you. Paul Nalen is back. Um, he apparently uh, sent out an email um, announcing his 2018 candidacy that doubled as a fundraising plea. He said he would run against Ryan because Ryan has led the way to thwart President Trump's bold agenda every step of the way, which is probably news to Paul Ryan. Led the uh, way, led the way to thwart President Trump's bold agenda every step of the way. Actually, to tell you the honest to God truth, if Paul Ryan had really been doing that, um, he might even be a little more popular than he is. But he, he's committed, as he said on this program multiple occasions, you know, to working with the president. So, Paul Nalen, Nalen, guy who lost by sixty-eight points last time, you know, he's back. He's going to mount a campaign. He wants you to give him money. All right. If you have one dime to give to this guy, it is God's way of telling you that you have too much money. I'm just I'm just saying that, you know, of all the different candidates that you can choose to support, money that you can choose to give, it's your dough. Give it to whoever you want. But you might as well, if you were going to send this character $20 or $50 or $100, you might as well go out to your driveway um, stand in the driveway, pull out a cigarette lighter, and light that $100 bill on fire because you will be accomplishing just as much. All right, speaking of elections, we told you about this on, on Thursday. I was off on Friday. Uh, Judge Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, who is just completing his first 10-year term, announced he's not going to be seeking a second term. There are two announced challengers to the Gableman seat. They are both one is a very liberal judge, Rebecca Dillette from Milwaukee, and one is a crazy lefty um, out of Madison named Tim Burns. So Gableman announces that he's going to step down. Um, both 
both of these judges appeared at the Democratic Convention and are, are going to be clearly positioning themselves as the alternative to the conservative majority. Uh, the chairwoman of the state Democratic Party, which is just an absolute mess, issues a statement saying Gableman's decision not to seek re-election was a sign that conservative candidates are clearly becoming intimidated by the strength of our operation, meaning now it's, I think it's very clear the Democratic Party feels aligned with, with these two liberal candidates that are running. It's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. But here's the bottom line. Be careful what you wish for, because as much as I like Michael Gableman, he was a flawed candidate. Keep in mind, and I, I, I think he's been a great justice. I would have vigorously supported him had he chose to run for re-election. He was one of um, our, our guests at Insight a couple months ago on the panel. But the, the truth of the matter is, Gableman has had a target on his back for the last 10 years because he did he did the unpardonable thing of take out um, one of the darlings of the left, Lewis Butler. You know, he ran against Butler and he won. And, you know, there were all sorts of allegations, many of them, in my opinion, very trumped up about the, the type of campaign he ran and the claims he made and things like that. But, you know, he started, again, a little bit behind the eight ball because the left was so enraged that one of their own could be beaten in an election. And it was this, let's get Gableman, let's get Gableman. I think he's done a great job for 10 years, and like I say, I would have supported him unhesitatingly had he run. Now that he is not running, though, it clears the way for one or more other conservative candidates who don't necessarily have some of the baggage that Justice Gableman has to run. And I think... Candidly, whenever you have a liberal running against a conservative in a statewide election for the Supreme Court, the conservative is going to win. Um, there's already one announced conservative who's into the race. That's a um, judge out of Sauk County. He would be very good. I'm told that there's other people who are thinking about getting into the race as well. Um, candidly, this is a situation where, again, it, it's always tough to run against the sitting justice. But in this particular case, I think... The likelihood of the conservatives continuing to keep their five-seat uh, majority might have even gotten a little bit better with the fact that there'll be somebody new running for the seat. And trust me, there's going to be no shortage of qualified candidates. So uh, to my friends on the left who are doing the happy dance that Justice Gableman's decided not to run for re-election, once again, be careful what you wish for. It might come true. In just a couple minutes, we'll be talking to the Attorney General of the state, Brad Schimmel, about this Supreme Court case that came out today, the fact that they're taking the gerrymandering case. Stick around. It's 1059. It's 1108. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, Under the Constitution... Legislative districts need to have approximately the same number of people in them. So in Wisconsin, there's 99 assembly districts and there's 33 Senate districts. Um, Each Senate district is comprised of three assembly districts because over the course of time, people move around. Um, the, occasionally what you'll have is that the, the assembly districts need to be changed because, again, you need the same number of approximate number of people in each district. So what happens is, based on the census, every 10 years, districts need to be redrawn. And that's where issues can arise. And there is a huge issue and breaking news out of the United States Supreme Court today. To talk about it with us, we're joined by Brad Schimmel, the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin. Brad, good morning. 
morning, Jeff. And we've got two pieces of good news today. Yes, I, I, I saw the second one. But let, let's just back into this for a minute. First of all, can you explain to people w- what the term gerrymandering means in general? Well, the, the claim is, is that um, the political body in charge or the party in charge created maps that are it, – it actually derives it, – the gerrymandering was – Jerry was the name of a of a political figure, and Mandering was describing a salamander. So they were describing creating districts that looked like a salamander at the time in the state where that had happened. So they're claiming that it's it's manipulated somehow to to create more powerful districts for one party or the other. Frequently, what it does is it creates more powerful districts for both party incumbents. Right. Now, historically, um, districts when they are redrawn have been looked at from a gerrymandering perspective on efforts, for example, to dilute minority influence, right? I mean, things like that, like taking racial preferences or racial makeup into account in drawing districts. Right, and that's that's the only kind of case that the United States Supreme Court has ever struck down, is when there's a racial or ethnic impact. That's not the claim in Wisconsin's case. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the, the Wisconsin case, and if you could give people a little bit of a history of of what happened and and where we were up until this up until today. Well, now I want to go back a little further in history because after the two thousand census, um, there was a challenge to the maps that were drawn that time around, and actually the courts took it over and drew the maps for the state of Wisconsin when. The Republican majority took over in 2010 in that election. That was based on maps drawn by courts. We've actually seen the the results of elections under the maps drawn by our legislature in 2011. We're, We're not all that different than what happened a decade earlier with that one that was drawn by courts and reportedly all fair by um, by the plaintiffs uh, urging. What happened here is that after this redistricting, the plaintiffs have filed a lawsuit claiming that we've engaged in improper redistricting maps. And their claim is, is what they've done is they have packed, they've packed Democrat votes into these districts that are super strong Democrat districts. And by doing that, you've watered down the vote of Democrat voters. Um, Okay, so this has nothing to do with race, which has been the type of cases that heard before. This is simply heavily Democratic districts, um, so there's like super majorities of Democrats in particular areas, and the argument is this violates the rights of Democrats somehow. That's their claim. Now, they've, they've come up with this measure called the efficiency gap, and so they've created this, this they claim, scientific measure that can effectively gauge whether this is a an improper political redistricting or not. The problem is, is by the measure they've proposed, one-third of the state maps in America would fail. And also, what they don't take into account is that some cases that the United States Supreme Court has already upheld, as in, in previous cases, also would have failed under their efficiency gap measure. So it's not at all clear that the Supreme Court is going to be interested in accepting this measure that but, they propose. I mean, the, the the fundamental problem I've had with this all along, Brad, is that, for for example, if you look at Wisconsin, Democrats 
tend to, for example, the city of Milwaukee is heavily Democratic. The city of Madison is heavily Democratic. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, what, right? What, what are I mean? What what are the what are you supposed to do? You know, um, right. create these weird districts just to like spread out the number of Democrats? I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. It is where people chose to live, and that's that's a a big part of our argument is that you know we can't account for all of those decisions that people make. They want to live in that place, you know. And you can look at other places. Um, in Ozaukee or Waukesha County, where they're much more heavily Republican, and um, right. that's because people chose to live in that political environment. Okay, so there's this lawsuit which ends up getting filed. Um, a, a federal panel, a panel of federal judges, comes out with a two-to-one ruling. What what did that ruling find? That ruling found that um, the Republicans in the legislature that drew the maps had engaged in an improper political process that unlawfully and unconstitutionally watered down the votes of some Wisconsin voters. That's what they found. Um, now, there was, the United States Supreme Court issued two decisions today. One is that they've accepted that case on the merits. They had several options. They could, they could summarily affirm what happened in the lower court without any kind of a written decision. They could summarily reverse it. We didn't think either of, those, either of those things were likely outcomes, given that this affects every state. Every state has a redistricting process where um, someone could, if they simply left that decision in place or summarily reversed it, you've given them no guidance. We, we do need the guidance from the United States Supreme Court because this is the first time that we've had a, um, a political redistricting struck down like this. So ruling number one is they, if 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 clearly a majority of the court thought for sure that this was the right thing, they could have just let this stand and rejected it. They've taken the case, which indicates, at least to you, that they that they they want to issue some decision. They want to issue some ruling on this new theory. Would that be correct? Yes, I, and I think the most that we can infer from that part of the decision is that they do think it's appropriate for them to offer some guidance going forward. All right. Now, we've been talking about that aspect, and, and that case is going to be heard probably next fall, it'll be argued, you think? Yes. All right. Now, there's another decision that came out today, which uh, is, a, is a big deal as well related to this. Right. They grant five of the, of the nine justices today issued a decision granting our request that the lower court order be stayed. Basically, they enjoined the lower court order from going into place. The lower court had issued an order requiring that by November 1st, our legislature redraw the maps and submit it for the court's approval. Um, that we could have a long conversation about just how big a mess that could create. But the United States Supreme Court looked at it, and to, in order to impose a stay, they have to find two things. One is that you'd suffer irreparable harm if they don't stop the lower court order from going into place. And the second is that you have a likelihood of prevailing on the merits. So five of the judges have, con- justices, excuse me, have concluded that, at least based on what they've seen so far, we're likely to prevail on the merits. Right. So the idea being, and again, you, you, you never know what's going through the mind of, of justices, but at least in a preliminary fashion, you view this as good news for the, the districts that were drawn and the process that was used to draw these districts. It is. It is good news that um, 
that we're probably not going to be looking at it. We don't, we're not looking at a U.S. Supreme Court, at least, that is anxious to, uh, to get involved in this process because, ultimately, the other side's asking for only several, of alter- several alternatives possible here. One is that the courts are going to get involved in drawing redistricting maps, and I don't think any of the federal courts want to be responsible for doing this. They don't really have the resources that the legislature can put into doing this. And then the other would be that the federal court, the United States Supreme Court, declare by judicial order how states must do this process. That doesn't work because that's flat-out legislating. That's not their role. I don't expect them to do that. So the alternative would be if they if they end up upholding what happened at the lower court level, they're going to leave the states, all of them, not just Wisconsin, to go out and try to design a process that fits some more general guidelines that the Supreme Court might give. Um, that's going to invite a lot of litigation. There will be many, many cases in many states where this is going to be battled for a long time. Now, now Brad, I, I understand that as the Attorney General, you're you're looking out for the interests of the state and, and the legal process and things like that. I, I, I get a number of emails and texts from people who essentially say, well, there, there's something about this that doesn't strike us as fair, because in Wisconsin, we have a, a 50-50 state, essentially. You have, you know, the elections tend to be close one way or the other, and in 2012, Democratic candidates for the state assembly get more votes than Republicans do, and yet Republicans get 60 of the 99 assembly seats. That just doesn't strike us as being fair. Well, again, we go back to that issue that... Um there are many Democrat voters have chosen to to congregate in Madison and Milwaukee areas. But another issue is you, know, you look at what's been happening to the state districts that used to be, even in districts where the redistricting maps didn't have a lot of impact, um, those, those districts went for President Trump. Those districts went for Governor Walker. And again, remember, the districts that... Um, that were in place when Governor Walker first won and when Republicans first took the majorities in the legislature, those, that was back in 2010 when those were maps that were drawn by a court at the urging of, uh, of challengers almost 20 years ago now. You know, as I've been thinking about this this case over over the years, I I just if we start out with the the basic premise that you you can't, for example, alter districts for the purpose of of, to dilute the impact of race or something like that. I just wonder how you're ever going to be able to draw districts if this theory were to take into effect, because then what are you supposed to do? Take some of the heavily Democratic that are also largely minority districts in the city of Milwaukee and what? create some district where it runs out along some line to Waukesha or to Ozaki County or something, it would seem to me that that's going to get challenged for violating the, then it's going to be claimed that you're trying to dilute the racial impact of voters or something. And those maps would look every bit as much like a salamander as anything that anybody is complaining about with this. Um, Yeah, there isn't a way to do this simply. And the other thing is, you know, there are different calibers of candidates that are run and by the respective parties. And you, you can't, on the political side, you can't just attribute this to, well, because the governor only won 52% statewide, that therefore you should only have 52% in either house of the legislature. That doesn't add up because you have varying strengths of candidates. 
you have very you have different messages and you know we just saw nationwide in in the November election a a big sweep for Republicans at every level of government because it was partially because of the nature of the candidate that the Democrats ran for president and I think partially to the message we heard over and over again from people that uh, in, in polls and things that they wanted substantial change and they viewed they viewed Democrats as more likely to maintain the status quo. So you, you have to take, when you're talking about political redistricting issues, it's not so easy to measure that versus, I think you can take, when you talk about the color of someone's skin, that's easier to, to measure how many of them are in a district. It's not so simple to say there are definitely this many Democrats, this many Republicans that aren't that won't change their vote, and then... You know, try to kind of try to gauge who in the middle would go either way based on the quality of the message and the quality of the candidate. So to circle back to where we started, the, the two big takeaways today: um, the states, the United States Supreme Court agreeing to hear the the case, the gerrymandered case. But to your mind, perhaps even the more significant decision was the five four vote to issue a stay of the lower court's ruling, which you interpret as at least preliminarily as sort of good news upholding the existing districts. Absolutely. Brad Schimmel, Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, thanks so much for joining me this morning. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Absolutely. Um, interesting. I understand sometimes people's eyes glaze over, but this this is, even if you're not a political junkie, this is a pretty significant case. And uh, again, <laughs> this notion, the fact is, Democrats choose to live in Milwaukee. So is it any surprise that, okay, the Democrats are going to win overwhelmingly there? The alternative to the way the Republicans drew up these districts, again, would be to create weird districts where you try to take some of the city of Milwaukee and link it with some Republican areas of Waukesha or link it up to Ozaki County or over to Washington County, which would really create bizarre districts. Right now, these districts, in my opinion, are a result of a concentration. Republicans live in some areas. Democrats choose to live heavily in other areas. It's not surprising that then they become majority Republican or majority Democratic districts. It's 1123. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1126. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. They're they're just plain and simple. There's no constitution that people try to be divided based on political affiliation. And um, I think the Supreme Court decision is uh, that the issue the stay is very, very telling that the justices aren't aren't inclined to buy this sort of new theory. It, it, I'm, I'm glad Attorney General Schimmel was talking a little bit about the stay. I, that's the point I was trying to make a while ago. Remember the Brandon Dassey case, um, the nephew of Stephen Avery? You had a federal judge who, a federal magistrate judge, who made this ruling saying, I, I think his confession was involuntary. I, I'm going to strike down his conviction, demand he get a new trial. Um, the, the case went on appeal to the United States Court of Appeals, and they immediately issued a stay, which says, nope, that that to me is an indicator that they, if at least on first blush, they didn't agree with the magistrate's decision. And now you remember that case was argued several months ago. It, you, you'll go broke trying to figure out what judges are really are going to do. But, you know, one of the indicators is the fact that in the Brandon Dassey case, for example, they issued a stay, which the higher court issued a stay, which told me that there was significant concerns um, whether or not the decision by the magistrate judge was correct. And that's number one. And then, you know, that case was argued, I want to say in February. Now it's June. The point I made at the time was 
based on my experience, if there's a feeling that somebody is in prison wrongfully, that an innocent man or woman is sitting in jail, normally what would happen is there won't be a stay or there will be an order issued very quickly after oral arguments saying, hey, you know, let's we're going to we're going to let this guy go. Because the alternative is, again, you have somebody who's just sitting in prison. The fact that it's been as long as it's been to me is a potential indicator that they're not convinced that Brandon Dassey should be released. It's 1134, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I am a huge, 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 huge fan of the Wisconsin State Fair. I love it. The There's so much to do at the State Fair. I, I think it's great. The Wisconsin DNR has apparently announced, to the surprise of a lot of people, that they are no longer going to operate this major venue where they had all these different events that they would put on. Um, again, it's one of these things where they, they used to do this. They had almost two acres. And they had all these different things that they would offer where they focused on fisheries and wildlife and environmental management booths, all, all sorts of things, archery, carrot children's nature play, smoky schoolhouse, and a number of other attractions. They, they announced to employees last week, late last week, that they were not going to be doing that anymore this year. And it has created a huge controversy along the lines of the controversy that was created when they decided to discontinue the uh, magazine that they put out. Now, that's subsequently been reversed a little bit. It's obviously an effort, in part, I think, to try to save some money. The DNR says that the agency's presence at the fair is going to be greatly reduced, and it's going to focus on the state park system, state forests, and state natural areas um, where they're going to design to promote as premier destinations for outdoor activities. So they're, they're... focusing their, their function more on let's try to promote the state parks and not, let's not run th- these other things, the stuff on fishery or environmental management. Let's not run the archery. Let's not run the children's nature play, those types of, of things. Um, this has become, this is, a, like I say, it's a very controversial decision. The way the Journal Sentinel reports this, news of the changes shocked many in the Wisconsin conservation community, including those closely associated with the DNR's State Fair exhibit. Seventy years of tradition gone, said so-and-so, a retired DNR wardener, warden. Um, they estimated the agency would maintain only about 2% of its former presence at the fair. All right, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my question. The DNR pulling out from this big thing at the fair. I used to go over to this on an almost yearly basis. I think they did a great job. There's still going to be a presence at the fair, but the DNR is going to be dramatically reduced. The spot that the DNR had at the fair is now going to be managed by fair authorities and would be renamed Exploratory Park. But lots of people are saying you know, this is this is a huge tradition, and the DNR is making a huge mistake by pulling out of State Fair. Now, I know lots of you go to the State Fair. Lots of you, like me, love the State Fair. All right, the DNR not going to be operating its venue. I want to be honest here. Just like 
I, I ultimately came to conclude that I think it was a bad decision for the DNR to pull out of the, the magazine, the natural resource magazine that it pushed. I think it is a bad decision for the DNR to dramatically and quickly pull out of its presence at State Fair. I, I think, candidly, if there was a concern about this, I think it's something that, that should have been kind of opened up to public debate because I think there's probably going to be a lot of people who are extremely disappointed that the DNR is not there. And rather than essentially eliminating your presence, I think it would have been best to, okay, maybe try to, to scale it back without dramatically doing this. But let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, the DNR is trying to get away from some of its broader functions. They're trying to concentrate on what they feel it does best. But at the same time, you know, th- this exhibit at State Fair and the way they ran it, I think was a great public outreach type of program. If you are a fan of State Fair, if you know about this, are they doing the right thing by pulling out? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think I I think it's it's as much as the way this is being handled as the ultimate effect that I think leaves them open to criticism. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is our number. It's 1139. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1143, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is going to be an interesting conversation. For the last 70 years, the DNR has had a major presence at the Wisconsin State Fair. They had like a two-acre site. Um, and they'd offer fisheries, wildlife, environmental management booths, casting clinics, archery, a children's nature area, smoky schoolhouse, and a number of other attractions. They've now essentially said, we're, we're abandoning this for this year's State Fair. They'll have a small presence where they have some like effort to promote the state to state parks. But in general, this is all gone. The decision was announced uh, late last week. Nobody got much notice at all. There is a bunch of money that goes into it. I mean, the, the stories I'm looking at um, are that typically um, there were 100 to 200 people who traditionally worked at the fair more than 3,600 hours. Now, some of these people volunteered some of their time, but there was huge expense. Um, I, I candidly, I, I think to do this all in one fell swoop is probably a mistake. I understand that they're trying to prioritize things, but the decision to just suddenly do away with this entire thing at the last minute. I mean, here it's June. The State Fair kicks off in six weeks. I, I think that's going to invite some controversy. But people are are just absolutely split on this. Um, on my text line, Peter from Muskego writes, file this with the Domes conversation. Let both go. Wisconsinites are so stubborn to change. Lori in Milwaukee texts, a staple of the fair. Kids love all the wildlife and activities, plus it's nicely landscaped and shady. Great for adults, too. Now, th- there's still going to be a park there. Um, what exactly it's going to be, though, I don't think we know. All right, let's start with Kurt in Brookfield. Kurt, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi there. Hi. What do you think? Uh, uh, what I think it's terrible. Uh, I think it's just another way of Scott Walker defunding most of the DNR stuff and privatizing all the DNR and the, our wildlife uh, to make more money. I've been going to the fair since a kid, taking my own kids there uh, for the DNR display, mm-hmm. uh, getting our hunting and fishing licenses, getting information, and I think it's just another way of the rich getting richer, trying to privatize things, just like they did with the racetrack, letting the fair run the racetrack, which there's no more races there. Uh, just 
that's what's going to happen. The fair doesn't know how to run things like that. Uh, so how are they going to run the DNR uh, ex- exhibit? Well, they're going to, uh, I mean, they'll run some, I mean, it's going to be something different. It's not going to be the, the DNR. Be, I, my guess is probably just going to be a walkthrough, like you're walking through a little spa- space and probably some pamphlets. Nobody to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably won't have the fish on display. And I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I think I think they're going to concentrate on my my sense is sort of a tourism thing. Here's the state parks. You know, we'll give you pamphlets. Yeah. Come visit those things and stuff like that. Bottom line is you're going to you're going to miss it. I'm going to miss it, and along with my now my grandkids are uh, coming to age with stuff like this, and mm-hmm. uh, I take them fishing. I have them come with me sometimes hunting or looking for deer, and I think it's just like they did with the uh, the deer problem that we have. Uh, Okay, Same thing. I got it. Okay, good enough. I, and I don't know, I, I don't know whether you're still going to be able to have fishing or hunting licenses there because there there is going to be a DNR presence, but it, it's it's going to be small. They, they estimate it's probably going to be less than five percent of of what it was. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's accurate mortgage talk and text line. Again, I. I think the DNR is trying to get focus on on what they believe their priority should be, and and does the state fair fit into that? Especially if there's a large cost associated with it. I guess I just think sometimes the mistakes that are made are making what are major decisions, and this is a major decision with not a lot of public input, and then kind of on on short notice. And I guess I wonder, all right, how just like with the magazine. How? What is the reaction, and how do you gauge it? And would you be better to say, all right, instead of just essentially eliminating our presence for all intents and purposes, we're going to scale it back. Let's see. Let's cut back to fifty percent or or whatever, and then see how that goes. Sean in Beaver Dam. Sean, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think uh, about all this? Well, okay, I, you know, I I will miss it as well. You know, it was a super exhibit, you know, great information. However, you know, I don't want to be hypocritical because I have been critical of of our government and how they manage their expenses. So as we are asking our government to be more prudent with their budgets, you know, everyone's trying to do more with less money. You know, right. it's a huge expense to run the exhibit. You know, and now let's talk about allocating, you know, human resources. Yep. I live in Dodge County. It's a huge county. And to my knowledge, I believe, I mean, we have the Horicon Marsh, um, huge national refuge. It, but I believe we only have two DNR wardens to cover this entire county, and it's a huge county. Mm-hmm. So we only have so much money right. in the system to be doing things. And, and unfortunately, we are going to have to scale back. And it's it's. It's right, it's, it's right, it, and it's and that's clearly this is clearly a a luxury, and I love the state fair, and I mean I love the place. It's clearly yeah. a, a luxury. Um, no thanks, and see, and that's that's obviously what the balancing is. I guess I, my my point when I was looking at the story is I thought this is it's kind of like you went from I don't know driving a Ferrari to driving a used Yugo. No offense to any of you who drive used Yugos, and I'm thinking, all right, maybe this is one where again instead of just suddenly. On, on the almost eve of the fair, you know, making this decision, you're going to pull all this out. Maybe it's, hey, let's scale back or let's have a two or three year plan and let's see how this all works out. And, and maybe if there's this huge uproar that this is going, well, maybe it'll get the attention of legislators and they'll say, okay, this is a priority. I, I think it's just, it's the decision to do all or nothing, which I think is where the real controversy comes in. Let's talk to Ryan in Oconomowoc. Ryan, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. 
Ryan? Ryan, Ryan. Okay, let's try Darren downtown. Darren, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, uh, good morning. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's, I get it why they're doing this, but it's just it's just a good example of how Wisconsin is a failing state, and especially when you compare it to Minnesota. Minnesota, I mean, I go to both state fairs, and uh, it's not just the cost of the exhibit. It's kind of state fairs where you kind of showcase, you know, what you know what the state's doing, and uh, you know. Unfortunately, the leadership of this of the state, the only thing they can think of is austerity government, and they have no creative way of how to generate more revenue, more business, and it's a race to the bottom. I mean, with Milwaukee, is a good example, second most impoverished city in the nation right now, and uh, and I, I think a lot of it has to, to be blamed hung on this, this current state leadership right now. Well, I guess I mean, see, I, I guess I see, and I don't want to turn. I mean, I, I understand that people want to see politics involved in everything. I mean, okay, in the city of Milwaukee. You've got all these different problems, and we're spending $120 million to, to build a trolley or $90 million or whatever silly thing it is. I, I think that what you're seeing going on with the DNR is the same thing that you're seeing in private businesses and the same thing that you're probably seeing in, in your own life, which is, okay, we, we have to have priorities. I mean, maybe you know, maybe in the past you spent – I don't know, two weeks in the Wisconsin Dells or a week in the Wisconsin Dells. And now you're saying, okay, well, all right, you know, it's, money's a little bit tight. So now maybe it's going to be a long weekend in the Wisconsin Dells. We're still going to go do that stuff, but we have to cut back. I don't think it's fair, like our first caller was saying, I don't think it's fair to criticize government for doing the same things that we have to do in private business or that we have to do in our own lives. I mean, that's something that we've been saying for the longest time. You know, you, you have to look and you have to let's run government like you run your private lives. So, I mean, I'm not going to rip the DNR for that. And there's, there's clearly a huge cost that was involved. I, I do think just as I try to make this point with President Trump about a lot of stuff, sometimes it's, it's style as much as substance. And this is a big deal. And it's going to be a big deal to a lot of people. And, you know, maybe some public input or maybe a, a gradual thing. Right? We're not going to have as many exhibits. We're going to cut back a little bit. We're going to scale back. And instead of 2% of our involvement, it's going to be 50% of the involvement. And, and let's see how that all plays out. Matt in Lake Geneva. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I've noticed the state DNR trying to cut costs a little bit any way they can. Uh, one thing I wasn't happy with was their switching of their licensing this year where your deer tags and your, your fish sturgeon tags are all paper that you print yourself. And I'm not really, not really happy with it. Right. I'm not really happy with that because, you know, when you go out in the woods or whatever and you're out in the environments, uh, they're no longer plastic and they succumb to the rain and mm-hmm. whatever. And, and, uh, you know, I asked the biggest reason why they're doing that. And they said, well, many states are, and you can print it yourself. And, and it's cheaper. Convenience. It's cheaper. Yeah, it's cheaper. <laughs> it's cheaper. Let's face it, yeah. at the end of the day, it's cheaper, right? <laughs> yep. And, and the, the, that one, of the, one of the perks, the upside of it is if you are stopped by a conservation warden and they need to verify the activity you're doing and make sure you're properly licensed, your driver's license will suffice. So if you just got that handy, which most of us do, it does double up as that. But it's, I was very frustrated with the tags going down the cheaper road, and I wasn't happy with it. Yeah, and I, and I guess, and it, I mean, but again, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I also, I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic that, you know, in, in Wisconsin, a, a lot of times we, we get stuck on, on our traditions without saying, okay, is there a time maybe that the traditions, we've outgrown the traditions? I just think this decision, if I were advising the DNR, my advice would have been, 
Let's phase this in gradually because this just like the decision to eliminate the the magazine, which created this huge groundswell of opposition. And now, you know, the state legislature has gone in and they've said, OK, we're not going to eliminate the magazine, but we're going to scale it back. Now, what the governor ultimately does with that when he gets the budget because he's got veto power, you know, who knows? This is the same sort of thing. I understand where they're coming from. I understand what they're trying to do, but maybe. If there had been a little bit more transparency and a little bit more opportunity for public discussion, it would not have been as controversial, and you wouldn't have had some of the, oh, this is uh, Wisconsin, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. Well, I don't want to overstate it. It's a nice exhibit. Wisconsin's not going to hell in a handbasket because you're doing away with the DNR exhibit at the state fair. But nevertheless, I I think it was something that was positive for the state. Uh, Let's see our text line. I grew up with Smokey the Bear, and I will miss him. I'm 55 years old. Um, you know, John says, I'm retired. My father took me as a child to the fair. The DNR was always on the top of my list. My kids went to the DNR, and we planned our trip with grandkids from out of state, and they asked about going to the DNR. Yeah, it, it's going to be missed, which is why maybe, again, in, in executing this decision, it would have been better to have at least a little bit of public input, certainly less controversial.